Hello and welcome to the FilmPulse.net podcast. This is episode number 82. My name is Adam. With me today we have Kevin. How are you, Kevin? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay as well. Today we have a wonderful show lined up. First we'll be speaking with director Ryan White on his new film, Good Old Frida, which hits theaters and VOD Friday. Then we'll be going over some of what we've been watching before getting into a feature review of Woody Allen's Blue Jasmine. And finally, we'll be going over this week's movie predictions, new on VOD and DVD and Blu-ray releases. First up, let's speak with director Ryan White on his new documentary, Good Old Frida. Ryan, thanks so much for taking some time to speak with me. For listeners who may not know, I was thinking maybe we could start by just telling us who Frida Kelly is. Yeah, so Frida Kelly was the Beatles secretary from beginning to end. So she worked for them in the years before, um, you know, they were famous in the Cavern Club years, and she worked for them in the years after they disbanded. So she's one of their longest-serving employees. Um, She's one of the very few survivors of that original inner circle, and she's actually the only one from that inner circle who's never gone down on the record. So this film is the first time she's sharing her memories for the first time in 50 years. Now... How did you come to this project? Because it seems like this was almost something that Frida herself organized for for her grandchildren. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I feel extremely lucky. So Frida's had many offers over the last 40, 50 years, you know, to go down on the record and write a tell-all book or make other films. And she's always declined those offers. I actually have a personal connection to Frida and my, my uncle was in a band called the Mercy Beats. It's a contemporary band of the Beatles. His name's Billy Kinsley. He, I actually interview him in the film. Um, so I've grown up uh, around the generation of, of that generation of Liverpoolian musicians from the 1960s that, that were all around the Beatles. So I grew up around Frida. Um, I knew her from family weddings or Christmases or events. Um, I didn't know she was the Beatles secretary as we go into the film. She's extremely private and had opted to live this life of anonymity. And, um, you know, even though I was around her a lot growing up, I didn't know that she was the Beatles secretary. Um, But as you said, you know, she had reached this point in her life where she decided she might want to finally go down on the record and and leave these stories as a legacy for, for her family who knew nothing about it. And so she actually approached me, she knew I was a documentary filmmaker, and I think, um, you know, she wanted to do it with a team that she trusted and felt comfortable with, so she approached me about three years ago um, about making a film, and I uh, I was told right away after my first conversations with her that, you know, not only was she an amazing storyteller, but that this was an amazing uh, story that needed to be told. Yeah, exactly, and, and she's just... She's such a sweet lady. I mean, you're mm-hmm. you're instantly just drawn into her and the stories that she's telling. Going back to what you were saying about she she does seem like a very private person, and it's clear in the film that there are some aspects uh, of her career back then that she wants to keep to herself. Were there any moments throughout the the interviews that you did with her that where you sort of had to maybe? push her to talk about certain things or get certain things out of her? Yeah, I mean, in, in the film, Frida's daughter, Rachel, says that her mom is the most private person she's ever known in her life. And mm-hmm. uh, Rachel came to the South by Southwest premiere in March, and when the film ended, she came up to me and she said 95% of that film was completely new to me. So this is the person closest to Frida in her in her life, and she didn't know 95% of these stories. So... Um, you know, Frida has been very guarded and protective of, of the Beatles throughout the 40 years since she since she left her tenure with them. And so it was a very difficult process, I think, for her, even though she, she trusted us and she was, she was you know, felt comfortable in the interviews that, that it was a big deal for her to even be telling, you know, her, her regular memories of the Beatles. And so, um, you know, I think she didn't really even breathe a big sigh of relief until the South by Southwest premiere when we had you know, a packed house and full of Mm -hmm. Beatles fans, and she got a massive standing ovation. And I think that was the first time where she finally breathed a sigh of relief and said, you know, thought, I'm I'm glad I did this. But, you know, there was a lot of pushing her, but Frida is a very sweet woman, but she is also a very tough woman, and so she pushes back. And so (laughs) there are certain things that were clear to me. There's moments in the film where I ask her certain questions and she shuts me down, uh, and I wanted to include those moments so, so you could see that she is, you know, but she is still just as tough as she was when she worked for the Beatles. But she was she was their gatekeeper, you know, and she mm-hmm. um, she in many ways managed, you know, what, 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 what people said about them and what press got to them. And so 
Um, you know, if it wasn't happening then, I don't think she was going to let a documentary filmmaker 40 years later really, really get that out of her either. Yeah, exactly. Um, so in addition to the interviews, there's a ton of great photographs and archival footage from Frida's time with the Beatles. Uh, were any of those items uh, from her own collection or did you find them elsewhere? A lot of the stuff is from her collection. Um, so, I mean, obviously her collection was completely untapped and had never been seen before. So right. uh, we used a lot of photos from Frida's personal collection, but also to supplement that, I would say about a quarter of the film is, is her stuff. Um, but to supplement that, um, you know, we needed other photos and it was very important for us because we kind of saw this as a, as a, um, a, fan, a, a film for Beatles fans because it's about Beatlemania and, and, and fandom. Uh, it was important for us to try to uh, tap archives that have never been seen before. So it's one thing, it's one of the things with this film that I'm really proud of um, for Beatles fans when they get to watch it. Um, and it's been very rewarding in the screening so far is that it has a lot of photos that have never been seen before to Beatles fans. And so we worked really hard uh, to find archives that hadn't been used yet. You know, we were literally in the battles of certain archives in England looking at dusty old photos and boxes that had never been seen before of the Beatles. And so we really have tried uh, to illustrate this film in a way that Beatles fans haven't seen before. Yeah, and you found, uh, it seems like you found a ton of photos with Frida in them as well. I mean, almost every photo in the film has her in it somewhere. And well, I thought that, that was really interesting too. Yeah, I mean, it was, it's difficult as a research project because Frida's job was to stay in the shadows, and that's just her natural personality, too. Is she, she's not someone who keeps the limelight. And so, um, you know, although she worked for the Beatles the entire time and is in tons of photos with them, her name wasn't tagged to them because she's often, you know, the woman who's in the picture standing in the background. And so it's really difficult, you know, in 2012 and 2013 when you're trying to research these things, um, but you can't just do a search for her name. Um, right. And so it was flipping through a lot of photos and looking for her, um, you know, and trying to find those moments. And when, when we found them, it was, you know, obviously <laughs> extremely exciting. Um, and we found enough to yeah, kind of illustrate the whole film. Yeah. And, and it turned out great, by the way. Thank you. So after the Beatles broke up, did Frida continue working at Apple or did she move on to another career at that point? Well, she worked for the Beatles two years after they weren't the Beatles anymore um, because the fan club still existed and she was still running that. And so she officially shut down the Beatles fan club uh, in 1972 and she was an Apple employee. Um, but she was having her second child and decided that she wanted to move on with her life, move away from the Beatles thing. Um, and um, she had a meeting with the head of Apple and George Harrison and Ringo were there. Um, and they decided that the Beatles fan club would be shut down and retired forever. They decided that um, that the Beatles, the fan club wouldn't continue if it wasn't going to be under her helm. And after she left, um, she kind of hid from the Beatles world and, and and has ever since. She didn't she didn't want to really be Frida Kelly anymore, as she says. And so you know she got married, her name changed. She she had kids. She she was a housewife and a mom for many years, and then um, went back to. Uh, a secretarial career and worked on a, on a secretary for a farm for many years. And, and for the last, I think, 20 years has worked as a secretary for a law firm. So, you know, she's had many opportunities to write a tell-all book or sell all her memorabilia and, and make millions off of her, her decade with the Beatles, but she's always opted not to. That was like one of the most interesting things about it is she just, she seems so humble. Like the scene that, where where you first uh, go with her into the attic and she's pulling out she has four boxes of stuff and that's that's it she gave everything else away I just I thought that that was so interesting yeah I mean that was one of my favorite parts of the film was getting to go in her in her attic with her because I didn't I didn't even know those boxes existed until we were filming and she mentioned them um, but yeah I mean those were the, and that's the last remaining stuff she has of the Beatles but Frida literally closed down the Beatles offices in Liverpool when they disbanded and so. She left with truckloads of, you know, autographs, photos, mm-hmm. um, everything that existed there. And at the time when they shut down the offices, and she's given it away all over the years. She she gave most of it away in 1974 to fans. Um, but you know, I've heard other stories. Her daughter told me that um, at her at her daughter's job, she had some sort of mentor who was what really helped her with her career and 
like a thank you Frida gave him, you know, one of the rarest Beatles photos with all four of their autographs on it from the very, very early days. And so, um, you know, I think it was a really, it was a really fun process to get to be a part of because of someone from my generation, I think, which is a lot more, you know, 15 minutes of fame and making a buck whenever you can. Frida is a really strong example of someone who is not tempted by money or fame, um, for better words, you know, and, and, uh, and so for me, as someone from my generation, it was a really wonderful character for a film and then a wonderful woman for me to get to know and get to, you know, just learn from her in those types of ways. There, There is a message from, from Ringo at the end of the film. Uh, mm-hmm. Did you initially try to get Paul and Ringo interviewed for the film? Well, we, we have Beatles music in the film, which I'm sure mm-hmm. you know is extremely rare. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so we made... And that took two years to get approvals for that. And so um, we made Paul and Ringo aware very early on that Frida was going to be doing this film. And both of their teams have been extremely supportive of the film, I have to say. that you know, when you begin, I'd never made a Beatles film before, but when I began, um, you hear all these horror stories about what it's like to get through the licensing or, you know, to make something mm-hmm. of the Beatles. And I, and I, I have to say I'm their luckiest filmmaker luckiest Beatles filmmaker in the world probably and that my film was about Frida Kelly um, and someone I think that that all of the survivors from, from the Beatles era have so much respect for. You know, even in Apple now, you can tell when you go in there that there's a lot of reference for Frida there. Um, and so uh, but both teams were part of the approval process for music and then we were extremely grateful that, that Ringo um, participated in the film. Uh, when we were shooting the film, it was the summer of last year and that was um, when Paul McCartney was doing the Olympics and the Queen's Jubilee and was an extremely busy summer. Oh, um, yeah. You know, I'm still hoping at some point he might, he, he might be able to do an interview with us that can be a DVD extra or something like that. But uh, but we're still grateful to both of them, for sure, for, yeah. for their participation and how much they've been supportive of the film. Absolutely. Uh, I just have one final question. Do you think there could ever be a band as prolific as the Beatles? It's, I mean, it's hard to say. I think that's what I loved about this story from the very beginning when Frida was telling me these stories over the phone before, you know, I ever even knew she was the Beatles secretary or the scope of her job that, um, you know, no one knew that this was coming. Mm -hmm. Um, and she was a 17 year old girl who was hired and thrown into this hurricane, um, that there was no predecessor for, I don't think of a, of a, of a band that had blown up worldwide like that. Um, you know, and this 17-year-old girl was at the was at the middle of that. So, it's hard for me to imagine that that could happen again. Um, but but it's certainly possible, right? I mean, if it happened once, it could happen again. I just don't know how that would manifest. I can't even I can't even wrap my head around what that could be. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't. I think most people couldn't. Uh, Ryan, thank you so much for taking some time to uh, speak with us. Thank you very much. Thanks, Ryan. Be sure to check out Good Old Frida this Friday in theaters and on video on demand. Let's go ahead and jump into some of what we've been watching. I think we I think we started with me last week, so we'll we'll kick it off with you this week, Kevin. So I started out with a uh, little animated feature called Tales of the Night by Michael Ocelot. This is done in the silhouette style, animation style, which was first created by uh, Latte Reiniger who was a female German film director. She invented silhouette animation, which is essentially all the characters are just in black. They're like cutouts. Right. And then you have these big vibrant backgrounds. Well, she actually did cutouts here. Michael Ocelot does, it's all digital, but it's still amazing. Like the juxtaposition of like the bright, vibrant colors in the background. And then the, like the silhouette characters in the forefront. And it's essentially a couple, I can't remember exactly how many, four or five, maybe, uh, fairy tales from across uh, numerous countries and number one is I didn't know that this was French well I did but I just started watching it and it was in English so I just figured that oh that's the way it's supposed to be uh, find out that I watched the English dub version which pissed me off greatly because that's I mean the, the voice acting is it's awful mm. and that, so if you're going to watch it which I do recommend make sure you don't watch the English dub version. Um, second is, it is 
like one of the best things about this film is that it was in 3D, but it was used, you know, very sparingly, sort of just to accent the animation, but gave it sort of like a diorama feel to it. Like the depth of like field of depth. Yeah, which I really wish I got to see, but I watched this, so this is available on Netflix Play Instant, so I was unable to do that. I have a feeling that that, that takes it to like a whole nother level. Mm. The third... And I, this is where I get sort of confused by the English dub version, because I don't know if it's, you know, the English actors doing this or if the French version is exactly the same, but it's extremely elementary. Like, this is like a children's movie, mm. which I didn't think it was because, the, the, I mean, a lot of the fairy tales deal with some really dark stuff, but they do do it in a way that it's not, you know, really terrifying to children, but just... Just the way that all the voice acting was is, you know, like through the first like one and a half um, stories, I'm just sort of like, is is it supposed to be this way? <laughs> like, is this was this supposed to be a shown on the Disney Channel? But once I got through that and I realized that that's, you know, how it was going to be, it was still pretty enjoyable. The animation is unbelievable. Plus, just to get to see, um, you know, some fairy tales from different countries was uh, pretty enlightening. So I'd say that's like a light recommend. It's a nice little, you know, animation film. It's a good time. And then I followed it up with watching a experimental film from a Filipino director by the name of Raya Martin. I was intrigued by the synopsis, which goes, in another lifetime, a Spanish couple takes drugs and teleports through their television set. <laughs> a troubled young man travels through the countryside and meets a lost woman during that trip, they discover a museum housing the expatriated paintings of the most important Filipino artists of the revolution. And this is all supposedly based on the first ever, um, like, uh, first ever written example of uh, teleportation in, like, 1592 or something like that, of some soldier in the Philippines who just teleported and ended up in Mexico City. <laughs> so I'm thinking, this is going to be fucking amazing. I can't wait to get in on this. And it was anything but. Mm. It is, there's no dialogue whatsoever. Um, the only music that you hear is music in air quotes because it's just droning, but not even good droning. It's just, God, I don't even, yeah, like I don't even know how to explain it. It's just fucking noises. It's awful. Um, it's 70 minutes long, but it's essentially only 20 minutes. They just repeat things over and over again. Like the first, within the first like 10 minutes, they show the the man driving. And it's just the camera in the passenger seat panning over to the driver. They do that like 19 times. Okay. Mm, sounds fun. Yeah, it's not. Um, there's a, a portion later on, which is him going up steps in a museum. They do this four times. Okay. Once is in black and white, another time is in blue filter, green filter, pink filter, yellow filter. So they do the guy. But as they're doing this, not only is it the droning music, it's Looney Tunes style sound effects. So that's awesome. Hmm. Um, so they do that four times. They do the woman going up the steps four times. Same droning music and Looney Tunes effects. And then they do the two of them running up the steps together four times. So that's 12 total times that you see these people run up fucking steps. Um, they shoot a lot negative because it is an experimental film. Um, a lot of lens flare and lo and behold, lens flare in negative. Oh. Yeah. And they also show that 17 fucking times. Um, it's terrible. Stay well clear. And I was super, super surprised because I looked this guy up and I'm like, oh, you know, who is this guy? He is, some people consider him to be like one of the best filmmakers working today. He's 28 years old. He started when he was 20. He has 18 films already. And people are blown away by it. But if you watch this film, you can see how easy it is to make 18 fucking films in eight years. Because it's just people walking around. He takes 20 minutes of that footage, draws it out to 70 minutes. Boom, you got yourself a film. How fucking hard is that? Hmm. Stay away. I yeah. was severely let down. I'm not happy about it, as you can tell. There is one other movie that I will check out of his. That's it. 
And if that one sucks, I'm done. I'm never coming back to Ryan Martin ever again. And then I followed it up with another uh, experimental short film this time, because that's how you do it. Ten minutes long, Peter Sherkaski, who, this is from 2000, it's called Outer Space. Essentially, he just remixes images from Sidney J. Fury's The Entity mm. from 1982, starring Barbara Hershey, in which an invisible demon torments and sexually molests Barbara Hershey. And now you get to figure out why Sidney J. Fury also directed Superman for The Quest for Peace. <laughs> That's why. Nice. So this is just like him just taking these images and just turning them into a nightmare. It was, it's freaky as shit. They got some weird electronica music playing at the beginning, which sounds like pole. I'm almost certain that it was pole. I could be wrong. But it was just, it's like seizure-inducing nightmare-style stuff here, which I didn't make the mistake of watching this after uh, recuperating from a massive migraine, Mm. which was the worst decision ever. I didn't know it was going to be like this, because there is like a a section of the film where it's just like flashing lights. Yeah. And it's just, I'm just sitting there like, ah, my brain is dying right now. (laughs) So if you get a chance to check this out, like I said, it's 10 minutes. So you're not really wasting your time here. And it is freaky as shit, especially the very beginning. It's just the way it comes on. It's really creepy. Where did you see this? I saw this on, this was on movie. Okay. Which is where I also saw Buenas Noches España, which was the last film I talked about. Stay clear of that one and watch Outer Space. Hmm. Check that out. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. I really want to see the entity now, but at the same time, I don't because I have a feeling it's going to be a huge letdown. But Probably. I mean, an invisible demon tormenting sexually molesting Barbara Hershey? That sounds insane. Directed by the guy did Superman 4? How the hell did that happen? <laughs> <clears throat> um, and then I followed it up with, uh, I think, the biggest piece of garbage this year, which was Byron De Palma's Passion. <clears throat> Before I talk about passion, I would like to take this time to personally apologize to the director of Kid Thing, <laughs> because I was very hateful and mean-spirited to your film, and I really didn't think that there could be anything worse than Kid Thing, and then Brian De Palma came along and proved me wrong. Your film is much better than passion. I honestly couldn't find one single thing that was good about passion. Well, we talked about this off the air, and I think that if you're into 90s straight-to-VHS erotic thrillers, passion is for you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, that's exactly what it is. And But, but you know, when we were talking off the air a couple of days ago, same thing. It still doesn't excuse the fact that this film fucking sucks. Exactly. Like if, you're, if you're into that stuff... Guess what? You're into really, really shitty movies. Yeah, it's Sorry. it's really bad. It's it's fucking terrible. This the the score for this film is absolutely awful. The cinematography is terrible. The acting is terrible. But I will go go on to which I I do have a review up for this on the site, and I didn't really talk about this in the review, but it's not their fault. Like the cinematographer, Jose Luis Alcane, he works. Like he did The Skin I Live In mm-hmm. and a number of other films. And he's good. And th- most of the actors in this film are good actors. Yeah, they're good actors. They just... Everything comes back to De Palma. I think that... This is all De Palma's fault. Yeah, just the way that they were acting in the movie was really bad. They're just overselling their emotions. Just, oh, way too much. And then the music plays into that. And then, the you know... A lot of the camera work plays into it. But the only thing that I can say to watch this for is the god-awful abomination that is the split screen. There's a split screen sequence at, at a certain point in time, which is one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. You know, they don't do too much of the split screen anymore. You don't see that a lot no, anymore. No, there's, there's usually a reason. Because um, you, like, you have to be really good to pull off the split screen i feel like a lot of the uh tarantino clones that started coming out had they used a lot of split screen 
Yeah, they they try and go for that Abel Gantz split screen, maybe maybe a triple screen. Well, there's there's one split screen that I still think was really impressive, and that was the one in Rules of Attraction. Do you remember that? Where that one was nice. That was, was actually that was pretty technical the way that they did the split screen and then they cut it together and yeah one action appa- shot apparently that's never been done before they they did it in that movie and that looked so good how it was they just blended it together like that i, I like yes. that this complete opposite of <laughs> yeah. that this is just this is like yeah. one of the most ridiculous things i've ever seen in my entire life as soon as it came on i was because the 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 actions on the like the left portion of the screen slowly pushes yeah. the main action to the right, and just like as it was happening, I was like, "No, no, you're not doing it. No, you're not doing that. Are you? Are you're, you? You're rewinding it just to just to push it back over." It's like, is is this happening? Is this happening? And then, and it, you know, it does it real quick. You know, it finally pushes it out, and they're both there at the same time. On the right, it's Rachel McAdams fucking taking a shower. It's, most ridiculous thing ever and then on the left is a ballet performance and it's going for a little bit and you're thinking well surely De Palma's not going to do this for <laughs> too much longer nope he does it for entire it just uh, it seems like he does it just to piss you off yeah it's yeah, it's pretty, fucking terrible pretty they, bad they, I honestly like half a minute into it I'm like is this really happening yeah uh, Passion currently Playing on video on demand and in select cities. Check yeah, it don't. out. No, don't. <laughs> fucking don't. Don't. It's god awful. Uh, and then I watched Samsara. Remember that? Yeah. Oh, actually, I saw that twice. Oh, did you? Mm-hmm. Um, these movies have a way of making me feel just really sad and depressed. <laughs> yeah, well, they are. There's just it's just. I mean, there's so many beautiful images in this film, just like one after another of just exotic locations and just unbelievable landscapes and everything. And I'm never going to get to see them. Yeah. Like some stars as close as I'm getting, except for maybe Costco. They show Costco. Yeah, they show the. They show a couple places. You you could probably go find some like busted down. Dilapidated abandoned buildings to yeah I think when I think they did show the one like abandoned school in Detroit or something like that I could probably take a vacation <laughs> go check that out I think that that might have been uh due to Katrina because I think that that was was that New Orleans I think so because there was like a maybe you could see there was like a lot of flood damage I think from that that's true that's the only thing that I I don't really like about some sort yeah movies like this it's like where, where are these images coming yeah, from? Exactly. They there's no there's no title card. There's no nothing to let you know where these places are. And there have been, there were several scenes in that movie where I was just like, where is that? I want to know where that is. Some of them are obvious, mm-hmm. but some of them are just like you know, what is this? Where where are we at here? Yeah, what's what's going on? And uh, I really I have no idea like how to rate this like I don't know it's impossible it's it's not a movie you can really review because it's not yeah. it's not really a movie it's not like a documentary I mean it it the the segments are kind of loosely connected uh, yeah some more directly than others but more than anything it's like something that you show to people when you when you're trying to show off your new TV mm-hmm. <laughs> you just pop that in hey check it- out. Check it. Check this out. It's sort of like you know how your friends come back from like vacation or whatever, and they're like, "Hey, do you want to see pictures of my vacation?" And you're always like, "Ah, oh, fuck! I don't want to see your stupid pictures." Mm-hmm. Like, it, but imagine if one of your friends had like seventy millimeter film and got like the greatest pictures ever. You would be like, "Yeah, let me see them." Yeah, that's what Samsara is. Yep, pretty <clears throat> much. I watched it a second time when my dad came to visit, and I I popped it in on the old Blu-ray, and he was like blown away by it. Yeah, I just I I did get a little irritated towards the end where it, it seems like he started pointing like a finger at like a certain section of the American audience or maybe you know a capitalist audience. It's just like uh, give me a break. Like when they showed really, like the food processing and then they showed all the fat people. <laughs> yeah, they showed like the ratchet and clank chicken gun. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, come on. I I could have done without that stuff. And then, and then they showed like I, I don't I'm not exactly sure if it was like 
the Philippines. I want to say the Philippines. But they were showing the jail, and they had, like, the prisoners right. staring yeah, at that, the camera. Yeah. I and they were spo- nice. I guess it was supposed to, like, elicit compassion from me. But I'm sitting there, like, I, have, I don't know why these people are in there. I don't know. Like, I'm not going to show compassion for people that might be like baby killers. Why did I have we, no idea. I didn't get that from that part. I just, I just got that it was kind of crazy looking to show like all those people doing like the the dancing and stuff. I didn't mm-hmm. really feel any kind of compassion towards them, or I, I didn't feel like it was supposed to. Maybe it was. I don't know. Maybe. E- either way, I didn't feel it. <laughs> it just wasn't there. <laughs> That's all I got besides Blue Jasmine. All right. Well, I got a. I had a pretty light week. I actually only watched one movie other than Blue Jasmine that that wasn't a rewatch. But nice. I did start the week off with rewatching Planes, Trains, and Automobiles with Steve Martin and John Candy, which holds I, up. I did. I did this uh, a while back, like months back, which I forgot to talk about. That's weird that we both decided this year to revisit Planes, Trains, and all oh, you, movies. Oh, it was the exact same movie? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. It does hold up. It holds up ex- except for the music. The, yeah. The music is the only thing that just doesn't hold up, but it is still mm-hmm. hilarious. I mean, I was laughing my ass off at this movie candy. because... E- Goddamn candy. Even though, even though the technology has changed, the, the struggles are still the same, like dealing with rental car companies and flying and mass transportation and all the bullshit that you have to go through. And it's just, it's still hilarious. I love it. I absolutely love that movie. That is a great movie. Uh, then I saw Cue the Winged Serpent, which was my Grindhouse weekly pick for the week. Uh, this was a really interesting kind of cult movie. Uh, I did see... Le- it's Directed by Larry Cohen, and it stars Michael Moriarty, who I'm realizing I love Michael Moriarty, and I love the two of these guys together even more because they made... Larry Cohen also directed The Stuff, which I talked about several months ago on the show, that also starred Michael Moriarty, and he's just such a great actor. Like, he's just so incredible. And this movie's worth seeing just for Michael Moriarty's performance. Like, I can't even describe it. It's baffling. That's that's how I would describe it. Because he has these, like, crazy mood swings. And he's just so weird. And some of the lines of dialogue he says are just so random and nonsensical. It's hilarious. Yes. But essentially, the movie's about a winged serpent that somehow appears in New York City and starts killing people randomly. Awesome. And... It also stars David Carradine and Richard Roundtree. Oh, sweet. This is actually, this just came out on Blu-ray. Uh, Scream Factory put it out. And I don't know I don't know if we talked about the Shout Factory or Scream Factory releases, but they've been putting out some really great stuff as of late. Like, they've been getting the rights to a lot of these old kind of cult classic horror movies and, like, remastering them, repackaging them, and putting them out on blu-ray and they're they're great so definitely recommend checking that out also check out the stuff which i think is hilarious and amazing stuff. uh then i watched teenage mutant ninja turtles one and two this is a, this is a solid week for you yeah re watched both of those and uh teenage mutant ninja turtles one starring sam rockwell still still fun and mm. it's really interesting to see sam rockwell as like a teenager. Did he ki- did he kill it? He killed it. Yeah, of course. Because he kills it and everything. I just wanted to know if he was killing it as a teenager. Yeah, of course he killed it. Casey Jones, he was awesome in it too. But nice. You know, it's interesting because I was thinking about it as I was watching it, and obviously it doesn't hold up as I don't say that as what you would hope. But it's still interesting to think about. Like they must have went they this was such a huge risk for them to make this movie, like with the, the suits and stuff and like have it, it's a lot darker than what you would expect. And I just thought it was really interesting. The decisions they made with that movie. It's awesome. Skeet Ulrich was also in this. I don't even remember him in that, but he was an uncredited thug. He was probably with Rockwell, probably. but you probably couldn't tell because you were so like just, 
Because Rockwell's so magnetic. Yeah. yeah that your eyes were just fixated on Sam Rockwell. I completely def- oblivious to Skeet Ulrich. I definitely like the first one more than the second one. The, the second one gets a little bit... The action scenes, like the fight scenes, are better in the second one, I think. But it gets a little, little kind of cornball-y. Now, I have to ask, as soon as you watch these two... Did you listen to the soundtrack nonstop for the rest of the week? <laughs> no, I didn't, but oh. I probably will. Damn right you will. But yeah, I mean, it's it's fun to watch because the whole time I'm watching it, I'm just like, yeah, this is my childhood right here. It's like kids skateboarding and playing arcade games, and it just brought me right back to my childhood. It's kind of incredible how one movie can pretty much encapsulate your entire childhood. <laughs> Yeah, they're still fun to watch. Uh, I also wanted to mention a couple games that I've been playing, because because I didn't watch a whole lot of movies this week, I've been playing a shitload of games. And there's two that I've been playing that I wanted to mention. They're indie games, and they're both available on Steam. And one's called Gone Home. And this okay. this has been getting, a, I think, a fairly decent amount of buzz. It's, it's hard to describe it as a game, but basically the premise is it's done through a first-person view, and you play a girl that's coming home from abroad to, to visit with her family, and you they have since moved, so you're, you're in a new house, and the house is completely empty. Your sister's gone, your parents are gone, and the, the premise of the game is you need to kind of explore the house and try to put together the pieces as to where they are. And it, it's just such a beautiful story. It's a very emotional story, and it's not like anything that you would expect. It's very cinematic in how it's presented, and it's like this huge old house, and you can go into any room, You can, and it's so detailed that you can pick up any object, you can turn things around, look at them, you can open up all the drawers and look through them, and there's just so many little clues scattered around the house that you start to put this story together and you start to figure out exactly what's going on. And it's just so well made and unique. And I just, I cannot recommend it highly enough. It's a short game, but it is absolutely worth playing. Thanks a lot. Going home. Yeah. Like you would probably like it a lot. I think that you would really like it. If I, if I had time, I would like it. It's a very short game. It doesn't take long to go through it. I think I beat it in like... mm, I didn't beat it in one sitting. I think it was maybe like three hours or something Mm. total. Okay. Okay. Uh, The other game that I've been playing is a game called Papers, Please. And this is another game on Steam that... It's essentially like a border, border patrol or border agent simulator where... You play an inspector at a border of a country, and it's it's a fake country, but it's kind of like Russia. It's mm-hmm. similar. And the, the, the game is you either letting people through into the country or denying them. And it sounds kind of rudimentary, and it sounds... <laughs> this, is, this is what you're doing with your time. You, but you have to, you have to like kind of watch some videos or something to really understand like it gets very complicated it starts off really simple like okay if everything checks out you go in if not you go out but then they start giving you all these different rules and regulations that you have to follow and then eventually you can detain people there's assassination attempts people trying to sneak over and it just gets gradually more complicated as it goes on and each level is one day and you get paid and you can, you have to spend the money on things like heat, rent, food, medicine if somebody in your family's sick. And it just, it gets very complex as it goes on. And there's 20 different endings to the game. So there's a lot of ways that you can lose or sort of win as it were. <laughs> but it, very, very fun. It's sort of like, it's sort of like Carmen Sandiego in a way. Oh, Carmen Sandiego is a shit. Dude. But yeah, this is another one where you can just sort of pick up, pick it up and play it. It's it's a really small download and the the days each level is relatively short. So it's one of these games that you can just pick up, 
play it for a few minutes and then you know just let it go but which carmen san diego brings me to a question when was the last time a game came with like an encyclopedia oh god i don't know i know that there's like all, i know that there's like several apps you can get for this game like reference guides and stuff because you get in the game you get like a rule book and it's as you progress like my game i'm on day 31 and it gets really complex there's like all different seals and ambassador or um like foreign dignitaries have different credentials and it just gets really really complicated and i know that there are some apps out there that you can get like as guidebooks and stuff so nice papers please is the name and i definitely recommend it so all right let's go ahead and get into our feature review of blue jasmine this is written and directed by woody allen starts stars kate blanchett starts starts alec baldwin peter sarsgaard uh, Louis C.K. is in it. What is the uh, Sally Hawkins? Andrew Dice Clay. Andrew Dice Clay. The Dice Man. The Dice Man. I have a synopsis here. A life crisis causes a vapid narcissistic socialite to head to San Francisco where she tries to reconnect with her sister. I think Todd reviewed this for the site. He gave it an 8 out of 10. So, Kevin, I think we'll start with you. What did you, What were your initial thoughts of Blue Jasmine? My initial thought, my expectation going in is I just thought that this was sort of going to be like a your standard like fish out of water type comedy. And I was completely surprised at how much depth that this film had. And it's really, there's a part of me that wants to say that it, it doesn't really come off like a Woody Allen film. I mean, certain portions of it does. It, it, yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that, actually. I was just talking with my dad about this yesterday after I saw it. And he's like, well, I don't really like Woody Allen films. And I was like, yeah, but there's a, a lot of parts of this that don't feel like a Woody Allen film. Yeah, there's there's actually an ex- like an extreme amount of depth in this film that it's not really there on the surface. But if you start to think about like what transpires throughout the movie, you start <clears throat> you know, coming across a lot of different things if you start breaking down what's happening. Right. And uh, just the way that everything unfolded, the way that he uses like the non uh linear narrative where he where Kate Blanchett's Jasmine is essentially in the past and in the present at the same exact time, mm-hmm. which I thought was perfect the way that you know, you start off with this woman I mean, it feels like Woody Allen's trying to give you to feel compassion for her, to be sympathetic towards her, and then slowly just revealing things about her in her past. Right. Kind of that just sort of starts to away. Yeah, starts to chip away at it and starts to make you think like, should I really be sympathetic towards her? Yeah, you realize that she's not really a good person. Like <laughs> she's she's not like sure, she had a rough go of things, but yeah, which this, that's the the thing that's really surprised me is the, really towards the end, which I don't want to get into because there is a lot of spoilers to be had in this film, is that it is really surprising well, towards the end. You know, when they yeah, start revealing it, some things, you're like, holy shit. And here's, here's I don't think that this is getting into a big spoiler, but here's what I thought, it, how it was going to play out, right? So you have the two sisters and... They both have these specific type of men that they gravitate towards, you know, Mm -hmm. and that they think are kind of like the ideal man. And I was thinking that it was going to kind of take your typical romantic comedy route and they're going to learn that, oh, well, okay, this this type of person is not the best for me. And they're going to learn the error of their ways and blah, blah, blah. But it it doesn't go Mm -hmm. there at Mm -hmm. all. And it Mm -hmm. and I was so glad that it didn't go there. Yeah, that's what I... Th- that's for, Judging from the trailers, that's what I was thinking. It was, you know, fish out of story telling. That's where most of the comedy was going to come from is this New York socialite. Right. Played is. by Kate Blanchett in the world of just everyday average Joes, blue-collar workers. And they do go there a little bit with it. They do go there a little bit with it, but there's so much more to this than just that and i think that that's that has to do with most the characters the the characters in this film are so deeply developed 
that mm-hmm. I was just blown away. Even like the kind of like tertiary characters like Louis C.K. and and Andrew Dice Clay, like which. Let me get into Andrew Dice Clay real quick. <laughs> Who the hell would have thought going in to see Blue Jasmine that the most redeeming character out of this entire film would be played by Andrew Dice Clay? Oh, I was so happy to... Who kills it. Yeah, I was just going to say, I'm so happy that he was in this and he just dominated the screen. He was Dude, so great in this movie. He, oh my God, he fucking kills it in this film. Like, and as soon as it was done, I was just honestly thinking to myself, please put Andrew Dice Clay in tons of films. Yeah, he does. Like he definitely he definitely deserves it. He was in uh, the I think it was maybe the last season or the second to last season of Entourage. And he was pretty good in that, too. So I'm hoping that he's going to have a bit of a renaissance here because he was just fantastic. And everybody I mean, was everybody was I mean, really good the, in this. The character he plays, which is Augie, which is Sally Hawkins' like first husband, mm-hmm. and Sally Hawkins and Kate Blanchett are the sisters, and just like everything that he's going through, like I mean, just think about it a little bit. He loses all of his money towards because of Alec Baldwin's character, and there's just a very small scene at the end where he's talking to Kate Blanchett, right. and she's just like, you know, get over it, move past it. I heard you got a job in Alaska, and he fucking loses it. And if you really think about that, I mean, this guy's life was completely fucking wrecked. Right. Yeah. To the point where people think that him getting a job laying pipe in Alaska away from his two kids is a good thing. Right. And, and, and by he's that, bitter about it, and rightly so. Yeah. And and that that scene right there, that confrontation, was just so incredible. But between both characters, both Kate Blanchett and and. Uh, Andrew Dice Clay like I just that scene was that really just drove it home for me because it lets you know where she's at and and mm-hmm. how she's looking at this too which is ridiculous and by that point I'm just I really didn't like her at all because mm-hmm. she's just so full of herself she really is narcissistic you know mm-hmm. oh yeah and but I guess the big thing that we should talk about is Kate Blanchett's performance because I I got to say she's probably a shoe in for the Oscar for this. Definitely. She does do a great job as Jasmine, but I will have to say that as much as I heard about Kate Blanchett's performance, I was completely surprised by Sally Hawkins' performance. Not to say really surprised because she's a great actress, but I thought she went toe to toe with Kate Blanchett. Oh, she, yeah, she was throughout I mean, the entire film. Everybody really was great in this. I mean, even even Louis C.K., who has a very small part. I I liked where they went with his character too because it's almost like he kind of he he sort of played against type in that Louis C.K. is a kind of guy that you normally like you know he's he's kind of a a teddy bear mostly he he's gross but he's like a teddy bear it's <laughs> like gross teddy bear <laughs> yeah but in, in this movie he's kind of a he's kind of a douche. In a way, I think I'm giving. But you don't, you, you don't really, you don't realize it, and it, even the way that they reveal his douchiness, it's very subtle, right? Just to, and I mean, you don't even hear the dialogue that he's applying. It's just run through Sally Hawkins, yeah, which I thought was fantastic. Have you have you seen Happy Go Lucky? I almost watched that after seeing this. No, I have not seen. I want to see that now. I've been. That's something a movie that I've been meaning to watch for a long time. Yeah, Sally Hawkins kills it in Mike Lee films. Yeah. She just kills it. But also, uh, Bobby Cannavale as Chili. Like, he kills it in this film. Yeah, yeah. I'm seeing I'm seeing four Oscar noms here. I, I think that uh, this this is going to... This has potential to really do a lot... Win a lot of awards, I think. Yes. Because it's it just... Should. When you break it down, and the more you think about it, it's it's a movie where, like, on the surface level, it's kind of a fun... It, it is a comedy, I think. Like, I was laughing a lot, but it, it's a dark comedy. I mean, they, they go to some very, very serious places, especially with um, Alec Baldwin and, and that whole thing. But I, I don't want to give anything yeah. away regarding that. But I, I think that um, it is overall a comedy, but... When you really start to break it down and look at each character, it's so it's so much more detailed and complex than what you initially think going into it. 
Oh yeah, and especially the way that the film ends, oh, which I, loved, I, I thought was absolutely perfect. And to really catch what she says at the end just clears up everything. Yep, I just it clears I loved up it. the entire film. And I love you, uh, going going back to what you were saying about the nonlinear structure of everything. I I loved how they did that. How they were just giving us little pieces of what of what um, happened. Yeah, and they would do you know they would show the past, show what's going on, and then they would cut back to Kate Blanchett in the present talking to herself. Yeah, she'd like be she was living in the past. Yeah, she was essentially reliving that moment we just saw. But there was there was a lot of good. Um, comedic portions of this film what would what would what stood out for you i don't know if there's anything specific i didn't think louis ck was this was particularly like a standout or anything i mean he's probably the first person you would think of when talking about the comedy yeah he just sort of had that nervous yeah energy to him just probably all the interactions between like when they went out on the the double date initially i thought that 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 was really a funny <laughs> scene like that that whole thing but just seeing Kate Blanchett's reactions to like the apartment and stuff like that and I liked all that stuff I, did, I, I one of the main things and this is very this is only because of my love of vodka the the point when they're out on the double date and he's saying like oh you like vodka oh the Russian oh my my Russian friends and they don't like explicitly show like what type of vodka it is but I could tell from the bottle that he was bringing down that it's like a twelve dollar bottle of vodka it's like it's bottom shelf and I'm just it, that made me laugh and then towards the end of the film where you know Sally Hawkins and Kate Blanchett are going at it and Bobby Cannavale's like you know. Kate Blanchett runs off, and Bobby's like, she said a lot of things that really oh, hurt, but, but I... Oh, I, my I, God. <laughs> I forgot about that line. That was one one of my favorite lines in the entire movie. It was so <laughs> funny. I, I kept it all bottled inside. <laughs> I, I loved that line. He was he was great. <clears throat> I, I was... I liked him on... Uh, he was on Boardwalk Empire last season. He played a real despicable bastard on Boardwalk Empire, and no. he was great in that, too. What do you think of the news that Woody Allen wants nothing more than to do a buddy film with Louis C.K.? Is it, what, it's Woody Allen in the movie? Woody Allen and Louis C.K. as a buddy comedy. I guess it depends on what they're going to be doing. I don't give a shit what they're doing. I just want <laughs> it to happen. I just need that to happen. I like the idea of of uh, Louis C.K. being the next, like, person to play Woody Allen, you know? And I would like Louis C.K.'s dad in the film to be Larry David. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That'd be be incredible. (laughs) I would just, I would absolutely lose it. Throw Seinfeld in there and you have like the most neurotic (laughs) I would love it. The the most neurotic comedy ever. (laughs) Uh, I like that. I mean, did you see the trailer (laughs) for the new Woody, uh, what's well, not directed by Woody <laughs> Allen, it's directed by John Turturro. The movie that they're in, him, Woody Allen and John Turturro. Oh yeah, the what? Is, what is that? I called? can't remember what it's called. It's but something, it's, it's something gigolo? gigolo. Yeah, the last gigolo, or yeah, something like that. Oh, what the hell is it called? That's gonna drive me crazy. Gotta find out. It's definitely something Fade. jig j- aging, aging Fading. gigolo. No, fading, fading gigolo. gigolo. Yeah. Does Woody Allen play gigolo? No. Tutorial does. That'd be hilarious. Woody Allen plays a pimp. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> Woody Allen is a pimp. <laughs> yes, Bob Balaban's in it. Yeah, Bob Balaban. Fantastic. Uh, so what are you going to give Blue Jasmine out of 10? This is something I've been trying to figure out here for a while. Um, there's a part of me that wants to go 8, and there's a part of me that wants to go 9. And I have a feeling that I'm going to go with 9. Uh, I also gave it a nine, actually. Nice. Yeah, I just I think it's a, just a fantastic movie, and the, the more I think about it, the more I like it. And there have actually been a few movies to come out this year that had that similar that similar quality to them, where the, <laughs> the longer I sit with them, the more I like them. Francis Ha is one, and Before Midnight is another one that I just the more it sits with me, the more I like it. 
I think one of the big things for me too is that I was just completely surprised. Oh yeah. About about what you know, sort of what my expectations were of this film. Yeah. And just like, well, I don't know if I've really seen Woody Allen do this before. I think that it's definitely, it's funny because a lot of people were saying, oh, that this is his best film in years and all this stuff. And I was, I really, really liked Midnight in Paris. Yeah. I really, really liked Midnight in Paris. And I was like, uh, you know, I don't know. Cause I read the synopsis. I saw the trailer. I knew, I thought I knew what it was about. And I was like, I just don't see that being more entertaining to me than yeah. Midnight in Paris. And it's, it's, I think that it's definitely better. I think Midnight in Paris is more fun mm-hmm. and it's light, oh, yeah. it's lighter, but as far as like just how well made it is, Blue Jasmine's. I just, pretty... before we jump off of Blue Jasmine here, I just want to point out the plot keywords from IMDb <laughs> because they're amazing. Um, first one is sister, sister relationship. Second is reference to Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> yeah. Apparently that's a plot keyword. Oh God. Um, watching boxing on TV, which happens in the film for like, I don't know, like two minutes maybe. It does lead into a pretty pivotal scene though. It does. The next one I'm not exactly sure about, which is just tea. Tea. Yeah. Like the drink. Tea. What? I don't. Not sure. I'm not sure about that that one. I don't understand how a plot keyword isn't Stolish Naya. (laughs) But moving on. Uh, Grocery store checkout clerk is the last plot keyword. And and I also want to mention that Woody Allen is, he's pretty old. And he's been making at least one movie a year for like the last at least 15 years. I mean, I'm looking at his his uh, filmography and it's incredible. He's been making oh, he's, he's great. He's been making a movie a year since 77. He's also the type of guy that he, he's the main director for me that even if I don't like his film, I usually have a good time while I'm watching it. Like I'm not really offended if it's bad. Like I didn't like To Run With Love. I didn't really like You Will Meet a Tall Dark Stranger. But as I was watching them, I was like, yeah, this is working. I'm enjoying myself. Yeah, I haven't. But then, you know what I mean? Like, afterwards, I'm like, yeah, that, that was pretty, that was a poor movie. Yeah. I, I, To Rome With Love didn't work for me on any level. I didn't like it at all. But I know, but I'm, you know what I mean? I'm not sitting there no, no, yeah, yelling exactly. at the screen like, exactly. No, this I, is so fucking terrible. Yeah, I get, I like, get what you mean. Uh, like I'm passion. not. I don't like, like absolutely love Woody Allen movies. Like I don't have to see each one or anything, but I think recently he's been putting out a lot of really great stuff. I just always seem to have a good time with Woody Allen. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you have it. Blue Jasmine playing in theaters now. Highly recommend going to see it. You will not be disappointed. Shouldn't and be. don't let the Woody Allen name dissuade you. I feel like a lot of people were just like, I don't like Woody Allen. Like, just get over that shit. Yeah. Just get over it and go see it. But yet you'll watch Passion and be like, oh, it's Classic Diploma. (laughs) Classic Diploma. Classic Diploma's been doing the same shit for years. Awesome. Yeah, anyway. Well, let's go over some predictions. Closed circuit. You said 54. I said 52. Actual 44. Closed circuit. Getaway. You said 30. I said 35. Actual 2. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, what? Uh, One second. I got to see who it is. Who is it? Man. We have to like keep track of this and see how like how often it's the same person. Yeah. It likes. I'm not seeing anything. Okay. Lawrence Topman from the Charlotte Observer. Yep. Sometimes sure. sometimes I wonder if some of these people are being paid. Oh, they definitely are. You know? <laughs> oh, they definitely are. I feel like this. I said it before. That when we did our review of the canyons, I feel like Salon.com got paid to, uh-huh. to write a glowing review. What do you do? Do you remember I was telling you about film comment? They're talking about how much they love the film. And then in their interview with Paul Schrader, he's talking about how he's working on this huge article for film comment. Yeah. They've been working together, and I'm thinking, well, of course you're going to like his film. Give me a break. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, we have One Direction, This Is Us. You said 70, I said 72, actual 68. Nice, so. nailed it. I know my One Direction, dude. Yeah, and I, yeah, unfortunately, I don't. I'll have to 
That's sad. You gotta, you, you gotta work on that. I have to not bother learning up on them. Next week, we only have one movie. That's Riddick. Wow. What do you think on what Riddick? A we- what a weekend. Um, 24. 24? Okay. Well, I hope it'll be at least somewhat decent, but I don't think it will be. So I'll say 18. I do want to see the... There's a part of me that wants to see the Salinger documentary. Mm-hmm. And then there's another part that doesn't want to see it at all. I want to see it. Um, I want to see it, but I feel bad that I want to see it. Like, the guy just wanted to be left alone. <laughs> well, now everything's going to be exposed to the world. I know. So it, it, it sort of bothers me. Salinger is in limited release next weekend, as is Adore and Hell Baby, Touchy Feely, My Father and the Man in Black, A Teacher, Red Obsession, and Good Old Frida. A lot of those are going to be available on video on demand, notably Adore, which is the Naomi Watts and uh, Robin Wright movie that I have no interest in. I'm sort of confused because it says 83% on Rotten Tomatoes, but everything that I've seen so far has been saying that it's absolutely terrible. I have no interest in it at all. It's about two best friend, two besties that fall in love with each other's <sighs> sons. Yeah, that's the most. That's just stupid. Yeah, that's <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, also on video on demand, we have all the boys love Mandy Lane. Remember that movie from two thousand from two thousand six. Oh, I was going to say 97. (laughs) Yeah. Finally coming out in theaters and video on demand. Wow. Not sure what happened with that one. Didn't I? But wasn't that already out on DVD? No, it never came out. What the hell? It never came out. I don't know. That's bizarre. I don't know why. I've seen it. It's It's it's, great. uh, No, it's it's, amazing. It's good. It's not bad. I don't know. I don't know what happened with that, but... Uh, also on demand, we have Red Obsession, which is a documentary about wine in China. Sure. Yeah, looks interesting. And good old Frida. DVD and Blu-ray releases. This is for Tuesday, September 3rd, 2013. We have Cockneys vs. Zombies. I didn't really like this. I mean, it's, it's pretty much just a Shaun of the Dead clone. Yeah. There were, there were some funny moments with it. It's like an old age home in England gets gets overrun by zombies. It's I don't know. The one guy from Snatch is in it. He's pretty funny. Empire State, which is with The Rock, I think, in a movie awesome. in a movie that no one's ever heard of. The uh, The English Teacher, which is the one with Julianne Moore, that's supposed to be not very good. From Up on Poppy Hill, which is the Studio Ghibli film. I would like to see that one. I actually have no interest in that one. I don't know why. It just. I mean, I'm not going to run out and see it like right away. Yeah, I'll probably watch it at okay. some point just because it's Studio Ghibli. And Hopefully I'll, I'll get around to it yeah. at some point. The Iceman. Which I want to see this. I did. I was That was playing in theaters for a while around where I am, but I just lost interest all of a sudden. But I still do want to see it. Lords of Salem, which is another one that I completely lost interest in, mainly due to the incredibly horrible reviews that were coming out. That's the Rob mm-hmm. Zombie's latest. Now You See Me, which I did not like at all. You can read our review for that. Magic. Sharknado. Magic. Hitting DVD and Blu-rays. I'm just going to say magic after every title. Magic. Uh, magic. Well, there's only one other one. Stories We Tell, which... Magic. Is, is that about magic? Uh... Maybe the magic of storytelling. Yes. Sort of. Yes. Any Criterions? There are no Criterions. No Criterions. Don't do it. That's right. Check out... It's to make, it's to make way for Arthur Newman. <laughs> oh, my God. Talk, Arthur. talk about a movie that should never fucking exist. Oh, I don't know why I found that so funny. Because the title itself, the title itself is just mind-numbingly boring. Well, since there's no Criterions, I would say check out Shout Factory's releases. They just came out with a big Bruce Lee box set, I think. Sweet. So check check out some of what they got going on. I think... Also, Arthur Newman is directed by a guy named Dante Ariola. 
Not, oh, that's, Just, <laughs> <laughs> that's even better. Think about that for a little bit. That's even better. That's fantastic. I think that that will wrap it up. <laughs> that's how you end it. Yep. Dante Ariola. <laughs> For all the latest film news and reviews, visit us at filmpulse.net. Send us an email at feedback at filmpulse.net. Follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net. And be sure to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that very much. For filmpulse.net, my name is Adam. And I'm Kevin. And we will see you on Thursday for Ryan Watches a Movie. Blue moon, you saw me standing alone Without a dream in my heart Without a love of my own First, we'll be speaking with director. Fucking dog. Dog. Dog.